Hello, and welcome to the Halloween podcast. My name is Magic Mischief, and thank you for joining me on the first episode in the seasonal series that I am calling Creating a Grimoire. Before I even get started, I feel the need to give a few disclaimers. Numero uno. This is my first podcast. I am not a professional. (laughs) I started this because I felt called to do so over the few months. I'll tell you more about that later. But the essence of what I'm trying to tell you is that I am not an expert. I am not an expert witch. I am not an expert on religion or kink or anything that I'm talking about. These are just my opinions. I am learning I hope that you can learn from me, but even more so, I'm looking to learn from you. I'm open to any and all feedback. Um, If you want to join the show, totally let me know. I would love to have guests or other people who can create a kind of dialogue and a community with me. I am a feminist. I will be approaching what I say and how I think from a feminist perspective I'm all about equality. I want this to be an inclusive space. That being said, I could always be better. If there's something that comes across very American or white or just ignorant, please let me know. I'm always looking to improve. I want this, like I said, and I'll say it probably many more times, I want this to be an inclusive space. I want this to be a safe space for the LGBTQ community. I'm going to be talking about kink and witchcraft because those are two large parts of who I am. Um, but that being said, if you were offended by sex or sexual lingo i.e. the word daddy, (laughs) this may not be the podcast for you. If you are offended by bad language, go ahead and stop now. I am was called Little Pirate by my dom in the beginning because I do have such a sparky personality and a filthy mouth, but a heart of gold, a heart of fucking gold. He calls me Crybaby Thug for that reason. Um, And the last disclaimer, last but certainly not least, this is not a Wiccan podcast. I am not a member of a closed religion. Mad love to anybody out there who is. I think that you can certainly reach the divine through any pathway, especially the more you believe and the more that you, if it's making you better, then baby do you. That's all I can say. I'm doing me. I would not want anyone to tell me how to live. And so I have a very live and let live philosophy. If it feels right, do what feels right. Go with your gut. Follow your intuition. You are the only one that can be your guide. And that is from a magical perspective as well as a practical perspective. Now, folks, who am I? Who is this crazy unique personality coming here talking at you. My name is Magic Mischief. I am using a pseudonym to protect myself. I am in the witch closet, so to speak, with my family. I would say that we toe the line. I grew up in a very Christian household in a very small town in the South. 
If you can't hear it in my voice, I am from the deep south. And that has definitely impacted my journey. If I had lived in a place that was a lot more open, maybe like LA or New York, my life probably would have been different. But living here in the Bible Belt, you have to find a way to make your way. And I think that through those struggles, through having to hide, you also learn to find yourself, to really find that shadow side of yourself. And hey, that's what Halloween is what is all about. So how did I come into witchcraft? I truly believe that my mom is a hereditary witch, a green witch specifically. She's an excellent gardener, green thumb. I probably would have come to witchcraft a lot sooner in my life if my mom hadn't integrated herbalism and a shamanic way of looking at the world very, very early in my life. It, it was just a part of a part of who she was. She made witchery so natural. <laughs> she was into oils, herbs, aromatherapy, gardening. I would say the one thing that she really didn't do was cards. I had to find out about cards and the magic of cards so much later. Damn it. <laughs> um, but back to it. I'm getting way off topic. We don't have time for this. I started my journey from Christianity Although I integrated astrology into my practice very, very early, probably in my early 20s, about 10 years ago. I love astrology. It was the first thing that really made sense to me. I would try to reconcile my Christian beliefs with my love of astrology by telling myself that God made the sky and God did make the sky. We are all made of stardust. But if he made the sky, then why couldn't he give us a map? Why couldn't he give us this blueprint into not only ourselves, but a way of interacting with others and even time of year? I follow the wheel of the year. For those of you who don't know, it's a cycle, a yearly cycle that repeats on itself, that follows the seasons. It celebrates eight different sabbats based on the equinoxes and the solstices and the in-betweens. It has really given me a rhythm of my life. And we will get back to this because it ties in with Halloween, which is the Samhain sabbat so well, so well. But back to my journey. I went through an atheistic phase. At about the age of 21 in college, I decided to make a clear cut away from Christianity in general. I realized that it was no longer serving me. I felt so much shame about the things I was thinking about and the things that I wanted to do and the way I wanted to live. And that shame was really holding me back. I also felt like it kept me from being as much of a feminist as I could be. If you feel like you are a Christian feminist, this is not a drag on you. I just personally could not reconcile the male divine figurehead with feminism. I think that my current eclectic witchcraft is based more on Mother Earth and that receptive feminine energy. Not to say that there's not a place for masculine energy. We are all made up of both feminine and masculine energies. I want to point that out right now. 
So, ultimately, I haven't exactly explained. I've been rambling. I've been talking in circles. But I haven't explained what made me reignite my spiritual journey. And it was a ghost. A ghost story I have for you on this Hallow's Eve. I'm recording this on the 30th, so it's Halloween Eve for myself. I went to Savannah with my best friend Stephanie. Savannah is absolutely one of my most favorite cities in Georgia. They have open container there, which means you can walk around with booze. I may or may not have a slight complicated relationship with alcohol. (laughs) No shame. And we went on a haunted ghost tour, which is a pub crawl, which takes you to all of the most haunted locations within Savannah, and there are many. They actually did away with a law that says that if you find dead remains in Savannah, you have to open up an investigation because soldiers and pirates are literally buried all along the streets, and they were finding all of these dead remains from hundreds of years ago or from, you know, unmarked graves, dead slaves, pirates, hostages, what have you. And it was really holding up like road work and things like that. But that's an aside for another day. We went into the first bar. It was called Moon Dogs or Moon Something. It was the first bar, so you can't say I was too drunk. And in the top of the bar, the building is the exact same as it was in the 1800s. They literally have not renovated it. And that's because they can't. When you walk in, I'm an intuitive empath, but I feel like anybody would have felt this energy. It was dark and oppressive. I could feel it sitting on my chest sitting there almost suffocating me. They did not need to tell me that children had died in this building. It was, they kept, I think, 72 kids who had yellow fever and they boarded up the room and just left them there to die. It was so, so strong. All Everyone in the group is taking pictures. Stephanie's taking pictures. Um, just kind of, you know, randomly snapping and shooting. And at the end, when we go down to compare, you would see all of these anomalies in the pic. Everyone had anomalies. Floating orbs in the pictures, moving shadows. Um, some of them were orbs of light, and in one picture they wouldn't be there. In the next picture they would. And for those of you who are familiar with the iPhone, you know that it takes a live image. And it will capture about two to three seconds, I think, of whatever you're filming. And in one of Stephanie's pictures, it just gives me chills to even think about it. There was this lone chair. Nothing is next to the chair. Chairs by itself. It was daylight coming through the window, so it was natural light. But there's this human-shaped shadow standing next to the chair. And in the live image, the shadow just sucks into nothing. It just disappears. And the chair moves a little bit. And I just, as an atheist, could not explain what I was seeing in my current scientific realm. And that's not to say that I don't believe in science because I absolutely get down with science. Science is key. I don't doubt science. Totally believe in science. However, there was nothing in my atheistic framework that would explain what I was seeing in this picture. That would explain the idea that this was something outside of at least this dimension. 
following that experience, the next day, we went to this psychic that was on River Street. And my experience resonated with me so fully, so fully. She just, I sat down and I was ready for a good time and I'm all giggling and shuffling the cards. And before we even start, she just looks me dead in the fucking face and says, why are you afraid of babies? And I cannot explain to you, but I just started crying. I don't even know what part of my consciousness she spoke to. Something deep inside of me. I do not want children. I have never wanted children. I would probably not tell you that I'm scared of babies however she hit the nail on the head and she just she knew things when she was reading the tarot for me and that was my first experience with tarot she was flipping the cards towards me and something told me in my brain she knows what these cards are before She even flips them over. She was telling me what the cards were before she was flipping them over. And I just believed immediately. It was a life-changing moment for me. It was a shift in consciousness for me. I wish that I knew what phase the moon was in that day. But I wasn't as proficient in moon signs. (laughs) Then on my 30th birthday, I literally powered up. I started experiencing dreams. I really started researching into witchcraft specifically and started thinking about becoming an initiate of witchcraft. Stephanie, intuitive, lovely butterfly that she is, had bought me a book on moon spells. And so I have been officially following the path of witchcraft for almost a year. My birthday is November 5th, so it's coming up. Scorpio, baby! Remember, remember the 5th of November. And if anyone wants to buy me a birthday present, it doesn't matter when you're listening to this, I will always accept. I love gifts. (laughs) So, I have officially been following this eclectic witch path for about a year. I consider myself a hedge witch. I focus on herbs. I I grow things in my garden. I'm an intuitive empath. I do candle magic, divination. I'm just now starting to try to learn the Agam alphabet. I am of Celtic descent. I am part Scottish and part Native American. So those two belief systems really call to me in a special way. I mentioned before that I am not into a clo- I'm not in a closed religion and I do borrow from many different practices. So I hope I don't offend anyone or come across as culturally appropriating. I want to speak about these things in the most respectful way possible and the reason that I borrow is a true sense of flattery like I think that the things that I'm borrowing from have credence I value and respect these ways of thinking and these ways of going about ritual and so I'm using them in a respectful way but I also understand how people could take that as appropriation appropriating and I respect that and if anyone feels that way from anything that I've said I invite you please come to me about it you can reach out to me with any and all 
questions, comments, concerns at Podcast at gmail.com. And that's Halloween with a K. Um, that leads me actually to want to tell you a little bit more about why I named the podcast that. I am bisexual. The queen is to bring more awareness into the LGBTQ community. I think there are a lot of great witch podcasts out there. I started listening to Bad Witch by Mickey Cecilia when I first started, and I would highly recommend that podcast to anyone. But I'm not sure, and I didn't see any kink podcasts. I personally think that BDSM is magic. Uh, It has allowed me to enter that spiritual space and that magical realm more quickly and more potently than almost anything. I will always stand by meditation, 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 but to me, subspace is the fastest way to slip in to that trance state. I enjoy research. This podcast is witchy, but it will definitely be coming from a kink perspective. I'm learning, 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 and I want to talk about things that are both in the kink realm and in the witch realm. Because for me, they definitely, they intersect in my life. The whole reason that got me to think about this podcast, this creating a grimoire, is because I experienced such success with my reward board. I'm a little. I'm in a DS relationship with a dom that I'll probably refer to as daddy 90% of the time on this podcast. The reward board, we've been doing it for about five years, and it is basically like my own little BDSM grimoire. Uh, When we first started, I struggled with communication, and so he created this board where if if I succeeded in certain challenges on each board, then I would get a certain amount of stickers, and once I filled in all the spaces, I would get a reward. Examples of my first challenges... I am so proud to be able to tell you we're showering every day. I was a stinky little little. Saying good morning and reaching out via text in the mornings, making that first contact. Soft limits or anything that was outside of my comfort zone. And lastly, communicating secrets, fantasies, or desires. Once we were finished, I saved the sticker board and we started putting them in a binder. And I'll tell you, five years later, it is amazing to see not only my growth as a person, but the growth in our relationship and also like tiny things that we would write down to commemorate. Our reward board is very ritual. We have reward board um, ceremonies that I lead and so the idea of ritual and you know getting connected to a magical space purifying your space consecrating yourself to something these are all alive and well in BDSM and really really created really what am I trying to even say it laid the foundation for my magical practice today And so I can totally see why writing things down in a grimoire would make me a better witch. Am I good at it? No. Do I have a grimoire grimoire right now? Hell no. I don't have a book of shadows. 
I enjoy research. I want to research every single topic that I tell to you. And my idea and my plan is to create a digital page for whatever I'm talking about and build my grimoire via this podcast and at the end of this year I'll print it out and I'll put it in a binder and it will be a representation of my growth and I'll be able to see how far I've come and the things I've struggled with and maybe things have changed for me. So hello to Witchhood. The first part of the whole part of me even saying this was how the fuck did I come up with this name Halloween? Hello for Halloween one. Hello, the German word too. Like I said, I don't want this to be an American-only podcast. I think there are so many valuable types of magic worldwide. Every single culture has its own ties to magic. And I want to bring that to light. I want people to talk to me about it. I want to learn about it. I want you to learn from me, but I want, more importantly, for me to learn from you. And then the queen, like I said, LGBTQIA. PK in the house. So, I've said a lot to say welcome. Welcome to my podcast. That was the most of my intro for right now. I want to spend the next few minutes talking about Halloween because as you might tell from the name of this podcast, I do love Halloween. As a Scottish girl, it is the Celtic New Year. I vibe with that so hard. I love candy. But I really want to dig into the spiritual aspect of Halloween, not as much as the consumeristic version that Halloween has become. Halloween, the Celtic festival of Samhain, is one of the eight sabbats. It's considered the Celtic New Year, and it's a time of saying goodbye to this year, reaping the final harvest. It's a time when the veil between worlds is at its thinnest and especially the ancients and people all over the world believe that it's the time when the little people come out, their ancestors are closest to them. It's an excellent time for divination and shadow work. You cannot have light without the shadow. So I would really encourage you to spend some time getting to know yourself. To me, this leading into the winter solstice is the time to start thinking about next year to start really laying the groundwork for what you want to feel and what you want to accomplish in the year to come. So to commemorate the event, the Druids would build huge sacred bonfires and the people would gather and burn crops to animal and animals and make sacrifices to their deities. At this time, they would wear costumes because there was this idea that if you met a ghost and you were wearing this costume, they would think you were one of them and they would not harm you. And then that's kind of tied in to trick-or-treating. They would call it a souling. So people would go a souling dressed in costumes to other their neighbor's house who would give them food as a ritual of giving offerings to their ancestors. A lot of people would lay places for empty or empty tables for people who had died or people who had passed on through the year as a way to bring back their memory and honor them. When the celebration Okay, so I guess I need to back up. The night before 
the entire town would let their fires go out on their hearth as a way to say goodbye to the old year. And fire, as we all know, for ancient people was very, very symbolic and spiritual, probably the most ethereal element there is. And they would relight those hearth fires from the sacred bonfire, and this was seen to help protect them during the coming winter. They were going to be spending a lot more time inside, a lot more time with each other, and I think that's another place where this divination and fortune telling came into play. Now, as well, I mean, it also plays very well into the fact that the spirits are closer, the veil between worlds is at its thinnest, so we could engage in psychic activity. The Celts believed that these spirits that would be coming down destroyed vegetation with their breath, frost, leaving the land barren for winter. And that's partially why people would leave the food and wine on their doorsteps to appease them. And you'll see this theme of hungry ghosts throughout the re- like all the other celebrations that I'm going to tell you about in a minute. So these pagan traditions were co-opted by the Christian church in the 8th century. And Samhain became All Saints Day, which is November 1st and 2nd. That made the night before Hallow's Eve, which basically became Halloween. This really got me thinking about like what other cultures in the world have a Day of the Dead. Obviously the first one that comes to mind, Dia de los Muertos, for me, I speak a little Spanish, so Day of the Dead, obviously, which as it happens is on All Saints Day, being a very Catholic country. But what else? What else is out there? So I mostly found in my research online um, a group of Day of the Deads in a lot of the Asian cultures. And they all took place kind of around the August 13th through 16th. And I think a lot of the reason for that is they followed the lunar calendar. And actually the ancient Celts did as well. Followed the lunar calendar, giving them 13 months as opposed to 12 in our Gregorian calendar. So their Day of the Dead celebration takes place in the seventh lunar month, which tends to be August into September, but most of the time it's August around the 15th. They have Obon in Japan, Chuseok in North and South Korea, and the Hungry Ghost Month. They have a whole month in China for Bud- and also a lot of Buddhists and Taoists celebrate as well. And I'm going to go into each one a little bit. I hope I didn't butcher these names or anything that I say later. (laughs) My apologies. Um, In Obon in Japan, they light bonfires and dance. And I thought that the, the most interesting thing for me was that instead of carving pumpkins, they carve floating lanterns made out of lotus root called Toro Nagashi. And these lights and lanterns are meant to guide the souls to you and then again back into the land of the dead. So again, you have this idea that the earth or the veil is at its thinnest. They also light bonfires and dance and use lights as a way to lead the souls and spirits of those who have moved on. 
in Chuseok in North and South Korea. This coincides with the fall festival for them as well. September 15th tends to be the date. It's very food-centric and food-oriented. It lasts for three days, and I think the most interesting part for me was their emphasis on community. Families celebrate together. They share their harvest with others. They're eating together. Throughout the day, they will visit and clean the graves of their ancestors, and at night, as a community, under the full moon, they participate in folk games and traditional dances. I just thought that was so hella cool. Um, like I mentioned, China, they have a whole month known as the Hungry Ghost Month. The month culminates in at the end of the month in the Hungry Ghost Festival. And they too believe the gates of the netherworld are said to be the most open to the world of the living. People avoid going out at night for fear that ghosts who have passed through the gates will haunt them. It's held on the 15th day of the seven lunar month, explaining again why it doesn't necessarily add up to our Gregorian Western standards, or calendar standards is a terrible word to say. They begin their celebrations with a parade, and at the end, they also place lanterns on boats and floats and release them into bodies of water. The families believe that the further the lantern travels before catching fire, the luckier the family will be in the coming year. So cool. So cool. They will place food on altars to appease these hungry spirits. It's called the Hungry Ghost Festival because they just think that these ghosts are ravenous. And so they put out offerings and food and paper offerings specifically coming all the way back around to those bonfires. They get fake money, cut out cars, paper watches, and put all of these paper offerings into the metal bins and set them on fire. These offerings are meant to provide for the ancestors in their afterlife. I don't know about you, but that totally brings me back to ancient Egyptian mummies and giving symbolic offerings that are meant to help spirits on the other side. The last one is going to be the Gai Jatra, and this is held, that means the Festival of Cows, and it's one of the most popular holidays in Nepal. Families who have lost a relative will either lead a cow or a child dressed as a cow down the streets in a, in a procession. The cow is one of the most revered animals in Hinduism, and the participants believe that the animal will help lead the deceased family member into the afterlife. So it's all about, just like the lights and the bonfires, really leading those souls into the other world. You see this kind of example throughout mythology. Uh, Charon leading souls across the river Styx. Hermes, I want to say Hermes, like the purse. <laughs> Hermes, also a messenger. Hecate, keeper of the keys, leading these souls. Liminal deities that lead these souls into the next phase, the next stage of life. The festival is believed to have begun in the 17th century when Nepal's king Pratap Mala invited the people to dress in costumes and perform plays and stunts in front of their palace. And he did this in hopes of making his wife happy because they had recently lost their son. So a celebration of the dead uh, using the costumes. The queen did indeed smile at the side of the procession and so the parade has continued ever since. 
They still dress in costumes to celebrate and they really get into it. So if you would consider a trip to Kathmandu to witness the festivities, I will come with you. I love traveling. It's a passion in my life. I tell everyone, we'll work to travel. <laughs> Best way to get me to love you is to take me on a trip. So, uh, but back to our back to our festivals. India has a really cool festival. It's a little closer to our time frame. It takes place on October 27th. It's called the Bhut Chatterdashi. Bhut means both ghost and past. And then Chatterdashi means day of 14. They believe that 14 generations of their ancestors will come down to bless them on that day. And in concurrent symbolism, they light 14 lamps around their houses to show them the way. I just think that's so beautiful. I can, I can see it in my mind. It's just lovely. It's lovely to me. And then, like I mentioned before, Dia de los Muertos, celebrated in Mexico on All Saints Day. Uh, they celebrate food, parade, dances, and parties. I think every single one of these festivals does a great job of blending the macabre with a certain sense of levity, you know, frivolity, celebration of both death and life. You can't have light without the shadow. You can't have life without death. And that's why shadow work is such a great time, such a great thing to do during this time. You know, I think a lot of people in the witch community, we spend a lot of time talking about love and light, love and light, love and light. But you, this, I think that's why following the wheel of the year is so important to me. It's as a celebration of all seasons. It's a celebration of every emotion we have. And this is a time where we're heading into the dark. It's a time to let go of what didn't serve us. It's a time to start moving forward into that light. In Dia de los Muertos, they have ofrendas, which are like altars, where they leave pictures and gifts to certain ancestors that they loved as a way to remember them. Because if they aren't remembered, then that's when they believe their soul truly dies. I thought the movie Coco did a great job blending spirituality in a kids movie. I love that movie. The Alebrijes were my favorite part. Those were the spirit animal type characters. Um, another cool thing that they do is make pan de muerto. They're little, they're bread that looks like bones and they leave them on the graves as offerings. They will clean the graves and it's a respectful time to take care of the dead. I mean, in the U.S., we spend $6 billion on candy. I think that this is the most commercialized holiday after Christmas. And both have such deep roots in spirituality. For myself, I'm trying to really bring shadow work to the forefront, especially during this time. Um... And that's part of where this grimoire is going to come into play for me. I really want to start writing down what I'm thinking. I have a dream journal and the Archangel Uriel came to me in a dream and introduced himself to me and has become a large part of my life and is helping me with my shadow work. 
I'm not really sure where I was going with that, but I'm sure that I can tie it back in eventually. <laughs> so, back to, oh, what I'm doing this Halloween this Halloween falls on a full moon. Guys, I could not be more excited about that. A uh, full moon lands on Halloween about once every 19 years. However, the last time that the whole world saw the full moon, actually saw it during Halloween, was in 1944. So the last time that there was a full moon around Halloween was 2001. However, it was not necessarily visible to all parts of the world. So the last time that we had this kind of energy was 1944. That would that blew my mind. World War II. If you had to think about a time in the world's history that had a similar global issue or problem as big as the pandemic, it was fucking 1944. This is big energy, guys. It's also a blue moon, which means that it's the second full moon in a month. That also doesn't happen. This is some high-powered energy coming about. We need to take advantage of this. I personally am following along with my little coven to Raver, Raven Silverwolf's Hedgewitch book. We're going to do the Rite of Fire, which is the second night the first full moon in this month was a full moon in Aries. So to me, I think that just has such beautiful symbolism, kind of saying goodbye to that full moon as we enter this next full moon in Taurus. To me, each full moon is the ending of a six-month cycle. So the new moon in Taurus happened on April 22nd. The fulfillment of that cycle will be this full moon in Taurus happening on Halloween night. Just think back to April 22nd and what was going on in your life and maybe things that have really come about into fulfillness, fulfillment. For me as a Scorpio, this full moon is going to be extra heavy. One, I'm a moon in Aquarius. The full moon is going to be very, very close to Uranus, the planet of changes and unexpected behavior. So we can originality. We can expect the unexpected. It's going to be very close in the sky with the full moon and the and it's going to be in so we're in the time of Scorpio. So I'm a sun sign in Scorpio. As you may know, that is the polar. It's a polarity with Taurus. They're opposite signs. So we're very similar but also very dissimilar. What I mean by that is the similarities. They are both Yin, yin symbols, the feminine, the receptive. They're both fixed signs. They're both very stubborn with a driving interest in wealth. But to me, Taurus being an earth sign in the house of, it rules your house of possessions and money, it's very secular. And I don't mean secular in a bad way, but I mean that it is in the interest of wealth in your day-to-day. Um, material possessions and luxury. Whereas Scorpio rules the eighth house of death and resurrection. So its attainment of wealth tends to be more of a legacy wealth passed down through generations or even gaining wealth through other people. And 
I think that really drives home the differences. Taurus loves simple pleasures, simple, beautiful pleasures. Scorpio loves complex, messy transformation. It's a little bit more dark, definitely more dark, more the death side. I mean, it rules the health of death and resurrection. So to me, for me personally, this full moon is going to be it's going to be a learning opportunity for me to make things that are complex more simple, to find beauty and pleasure in the transformation. Keep in mind that we already have two planets in retrograde. Mars has been in retrograde. Mars is a planet that rules your sex life and your action. So if you have struggled in your career, welcome to the club. It will go direct again on November 13th. Two more weeks, baby. Two more weeks. We're also in a Mercury in retrograde, which rules communication and technology, which ends on the 3rd. So Mercury in retrograde, God, everyone in the witchy community always, <laughs> oh my God, Mercury in retrograde. Pretty much when anything goes bad in my life, I will be the first person to be like, is it Mercury in retrograde? What's going on? <laughs> this, this whole year has been heavy. But the month of October has been especially heavy. It's such heavy energy. I mean, 2020, it reduces to four, the emperor card. Mother Nature is calling to us, guys, to really get back to nature and to, she needs help. I mean, I think that when you see all the ways that the world is bouncing back, During this pandemic, the canals in Venice, dolphins, it's so beautiful. This is exactly what we needed. It's a reset. It's a reset going into 2021. And this Halloween season is a reset. I think the Wheel of the Year is always about new beginnings. Every single month, you have a new beginning with the moons. Every single season, you have a new beginning with your astro signs changing. Every single year. Every single age, you know, as we head towards the age of Aquarius. And a lot of these things, you may have questions. I'm not going to dig into it too deeply. I will come back and touch on these in later episodes. I love Halloween. I'm dressing up as Cruella. Daddy is going to be Ursula. He has this fabulous blow-up costume where the tentacles actually blow up and become part of the dress. It's going to be so rad. I absolutely adore it when he dresses in drag. I think it's so sexy. I hope he wears pretty lace panties underneath that dress for me. (laughs) We'll probably wear matching ones. And I mean, we're just going to have a great time. Pandemic be damned. I don't know how many people are going to do some social distancing, mask wearing, trick-or-treating, but I really hope that he lets me get in on the action. Um, in terms of content, that's pretty much what I wanted to talk to you guys about for today. So I do want to tell you about the shadow activity that I have planned. It is going to be a type of journal prompt. 
I am creating a grimoire. This whole podcast is supposed to be me creating a grimoire. And I really want you to go on this journey with me and create one with me. Take part in this journey with me. Let's make this a dialogue. Let's do it together. Your first activity is to to start, to begin. That was the hardest part for me with this podcast is just to begin. It, it's scary to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and show a part of yourself that you don't let the other people in your universe or the world see. But we got this. And so the first start is just to begin. What I want you to do is think about a name for your grammar. Do you want to name it? What do you want it to look like? What kind of materials do you want it to be? I'm going to be making mine digitally. Like I said, every episode is going to be a page that I'm going to decorate online. And at the end, I'm going to print it out. I'm going to be putting mine in a binder. I think that a binder is a really practical way to put together your grimoire book of shadows because you can remove the pages. You may not always want your grimoire to be structured in the same way. And as you grow in your practice, you're going to be adding things you learn in. And this allows you to move pages around and reorganize things the way that suits who you are in that moment. I would encourage you to laminate it. If you're going to be moving the pages around or even taking them into a ritual or a spell, you want it to be laminated. That way you don't get wax on it. That way you're not getting you know, ash or dust or, God forbid, burning the page. (laughs) I know I personally use a lot of fire, um, and fire will eat up everything in its sight. Very transformative. It will transform that paper into ash so quickly. So laminate it. That way it'll be protected. Um, I think it's just smart. Once I was doing this spell, this ritual, and... I was using a hibiscus tea and I was supposed to be dabbing myself and, you know, some of my components with the tea and it was dark red. It got all over my, all over me, all over the page I was working on everywhere. And so learn from my mistakes. That way, if it's laminated, you can just wipe it off and you're good to go. Put it back in. Think about whether or not you want to write it. I've heard a lot of witches say spelling is a spell. And I totally believe that. So if you can write it down, if you're artistic, put that into yourself. More of you will be in it. I am just not that fancy, not that crafty. Um, and I just, I just won't. So do however feels comfortable. But if you can put pen to paper, so much better. So much better. And that way when we, a year from now, are looking back, it will truly have a sense of yourself and how you've grown. So in closing, I want to let you know I'm open to any feedback. You can hit me up at holoqueenpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to join the podcast, let me know. I'm open to the idea of guests or people who know more than me, people who know less than me. Let's create a little community. If this thing takes off, I want to create a website and maybe even some kind of community group where we can all get together. Hell. We might even be able to do a freaking Halloween conference where we all get together and make witches brew and share secrets and just chill and get to know one of each other, love on each other, love on each other. To take it from Mickey, my witch mama from Bad Witch Podcast, you deserve good. So get out there, 
Support your witches. Support your witch businesses. Support your black witches. Black Lives Matter. I want this to be an inclusive podcast. You know, get out there and support. Support your community. Spread love. I love you. You love me. We're a fucking family. With that being said, I'll haul at you next Friday. See you on the flip side. Goodbye.